But for us this year, my, um, my question is, who are you going to, who are you going to like, who are you going to follow, who are you going to subscribe to? Um, because in, in the age of social media, I mean, you can do it across different platforms, and, and I used to have it nice and neat for mine. I used to have like three, and I would you keep all my new stuff on Twitter and like friends on, actual friends on Facebook, and then I'd use like Instagram for stuff that I liked and was interested in, and I've done away with most of that, fortunately, but there's, you know, we can, we can like and we can follow a lot of things, and it's amazing how, how much worth people ascribe to themselves based on who's, Who's liking my stuff? Who's following? How many, how many followers do you have on Twitter? And that speaks to something of the influence that you might have. So sorry to bore those who are millennials and younger, but that's what the, you need that as a bit of context, just otherwise you're not going to understand where this is going with this morning. But, you know, Jesus says something a, a long time. And we're going to start, let's, let's just start off right there. So if you've got your Bibles, um, you can open them or Open the app if you're using that to Matthew chapter 16. And it's amazing how often Jesus speaks to, speaks timeless truths to us. Things that are relevant for, for us today just as much as they were when he was around 2,000 odd years ago. Um, and, and what he says, Matthew chapter 16, and, and we have this real interesting change from Matthew 16 on. Uh, just in the story of Matthew, uh, Matthew's audience was obviously more, he was aiming his story at, at more, a more Jewish audience. So he spoke a lot about this Messiah King and, and he really portrays Jesus in the, in the light of this Jewish Messiah King that was coming. But from Matthew 16 on, there's this, there's this shift in the narrative about Jesus. And really it's how Jesus deals with his disciples and what he leads them through, where he kind of starts to open their eyes to the fact that he's not going to be... Um, He's not going to be this political Messiah, this triumphant king just yet. He's going to be a suffering servant. He's going to be more the Isaiah 53 kind of picture of the Messiah that's coming where he's going to be the Messiah, but through, through pain and death and suffering. And that's how he's going to complete his mission. But in Matthew 16, 24, um, just coming out of this amazing revelation that Peter has, Jesus says, who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter has this confession, the great confession of Jesus and then Peter tries to correct Jesus when Jesus says he's going to die. And Jesus then goes to say that thing that we say to some of our friends sometimes, get behind me, Satan. And he, he then goes on in this Matthew, in, in verse 24, and he, he makes it real clear about who needs to be the one that's, that's leading and who's the ones that are following. And he says to his disciples, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So we're going to look just a little bit at, at what, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it's going to take for us to be disciples. Some of the older translations or the, the older versions of the NIV particularly say, whoever wants to come after me. That's, the, that's more a direct word-for-word -word translation. The ESV has it like that as well. Whoever wants to come after me. And what he means is whoever's going to follow me and whoever's going to be my disciple so that translation in the, the, is just as correct as the others. But Tim Keller says that, you know, that the only way that we can know that we are saved is when Jesus, when we have been called by Jesus. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that we are the ones who chose him, ironically. I know in much of evangelical and particularly charismatic Christianity, there's been a push for many years to make a decision for Jesus. You decide to let Jesus into your life. 
But what we don't realize in that thing, what we mistakenly assume there is that I'm the one who's in control. I'm the one who's in charge. When, when actually Jesus has been pursuing you all along. He's the one who's been calling you to him. He's because, you see, in our fallen sinful nature, we can never know Christ truly. So we, even if we are searching and seek, it's not the true Christ we are seeking until he calls us into him and until he calls us towards him. It is him who drew us in, him who calls us to himself. And this is the call of Jesus. It's a, it's a come, follow me. And it's interesting that that call of Jesus is always a call away from something and a call to something. So, according to Jesus, there's three things out of that verse that are required for us to be a disciple. There's denial, there must be a death, and there must be some devotion. And we're going to look at those three. So, the first one. So, do you see how that? Do you see where those three come from out of the verse? So, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take up their cross, which is literally either the full cross or the cross beam, Roman crucifixion. You were going to die if you took that up. There was no, no second chance. And you must follow me, the devotion. So there's the three things out of that verse. So there must be a denial, there must be death, and there must be devotion. Nice and light message for the first one of 2022. So denial, self-denial. What, is, what does it mean if we live this life where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So Bonhoeffer puts it like this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an amazing theologian and, and um, pastoral guy, he was killed by the Nazis in the Second World War, um, mostly for speaking up against them and for leading a, a movement uh, against the, the German National Church. And he puts it like this. He says, self-denial means knowing only Christ, no longer knowing oneself. It means no longer seeing oneself. Only him who is going ahead, no longer seeing that, that way which is too difficult for us. Self-denial says, he is going ahead, hold fast to him. So you see, self-denial is, is about letting Jesus lead. It's exactly that first thing. It's about me not being in control. Deny, when Jesus says you must deny yourself, you see, the, the self, the, the I, the me, that, that part of you that is uniquely you, which is, which is absolutely a beautiful God-given thing, gets corrupted through our sinful nature. And that thing wants to be in control all the time. That self wants to be the thing that is the most important thing in our lives. And Jesus says, you've got to let him lead. You've got to set aside your selfish interests you, it's almost like we reject or we disown our life. That's what self-denial means. It sounds quite harsh, but wait, there's more. Because not only do we need to deny self, but Jesus says there is a death that happens. You must take up your cross. In other places, he says, my disciples are those who will take up their cross daily. So in other words, we take up that cross daily. And, and in an age of self-help and self-fulfillment and a lot of focus on self Death to self doesn't seem like a, a very appealing way. It's not kind of a sermon that would get a lot of likes and views on YouTube, a death to self sermon. But Jesus is saying it is the best way for us. It is the right way for us to live. You see, it's a, and it's an important thing to note there that it's a, it's a death to self. It's not a death of self. It's a very important distinction. That small little, is it a preposition? Small little preposition. That is the difference in there. It is a death to self, not a death of self. You see, you, 
you were created by God. You were created uniquely by God to be you. There is no other you. You shouldn't try and be someone you're not. There is a, there is a you, there is a part of you that is absolutely beautiful and God-made and full of worth. And if you're ever doubting your self-worth, just think about how much God paid for you. He gave His Son, He gave His very life for you. Your worth to God is inestimable. It is, you cannot estimate it. That's how much you are worth to God. Don't ever think that you are not worth a lot. Jesus paid a very high price for you. But when, when, when God says, when Jesus says that we need to die to self, or take up your cross, that's the death that needs to happen. You see, most of you will know if you've been in church for a while, but, but that death, the, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. And that was who was in charge during Jesus' time. And there were probably tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that they crucified. At one, uh, when, they, when they defeated Sparta, there was, they lined them up for something like uh, 60 or 80 miles. So 100 and, what is it, 130, 140 kilometers. They lined them up either side of the road, the people that they had crucified. It was a ridiculous, that was what they just did in one day. It was a, a phenomenal amount. So the Romans had perfected that way of death. And once you took up your cross, once you were sentenced and you had taken up your cross, that was the end. There was no coming back. They made sure that you died from there on out. There was there, no, there's no presidential pardon, no reprieve, no last minute anything. You were going to die. And it was, it was not a great death. And that's what we are called to do to that self that wants to lead, that self that wants to be in charge every day. We're called to put that thing to death. Death to self. We die to that. Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, this is the essence of the death to self life, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. And so that is the, that is the beauty of it, is that when we, when we die to self, when we are no longer ruled and governed by that thing, we can live for Jesus. And that's the key, because Jesus didn't just, didn't just come to die. He came to do that, and he, and he did do that. But he came so that we could have life. And that's the good news in the story is that there is life in that cross, in the crucifixion of Jesus. And we get to live in that life. Paul puts it like this in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And we obviously understand that Paul is talking idiomatically. He, didn't, he wasn't physically crucified with Christ. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to write what he's writing. And when he says, I no longer live, he's talking about that self, that death to self that happens. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And later in that same letter in, in uh, chapter 5, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's the beauty of what he writes there. Is that, and, and that's the, the beauty of this death to self. Even as it sounds so macabre and so dark, is that there is life in that thing. There is life through the Spirit who leads us and guides us. We get to live in Jesus. Jesus gets to live in us. But until that death happens, until that, that death to self comes, we don't get that life of God fully. And the more of ourself that we let live, and it's a very interesting thing. If you, if you think about it, like if you try to, to crucify yourself, you'll get the feet nailed and you'll get one hand nailed. 
but you still got the other hand. And that happens to so many of us. And then eventually we start to pull those nails out and we climb down off the cross. And we, but we've got to allow Christ to crucify us. We've got to allow Him to crucify us. As we take up our cross, as we walk, as we each and every day, we put that self to death. We deny it. We let Jesus lead. And we follow Him. And this, this death to self, when we, are, when we are willing to live like that, it enables us to embrace whatever comes our way. It is the most freeing way to live because there is nothing that can have control over us. You know, when an, the only way for an alcoholic to truly be free, aside from a miracle of God setting you free from any desire, is to die. Because it doesn't matter what you put there, you can put the bottle in his mouth and turn it upside down, he's not going to drink anything because he's dead. And it's the same for us. We, when we are dead to self, when we are dead to the things of this world, we're able to endure anything that comes across our path. We are able to experience Jesus' cross as our own, and therefore we're able to even embrace things like suffering and difficulty and trust that what God has for us is good and that He knows what He's doing. So those are the first two things. Denial and death that come out of being a disciple of Jesus. And, and those are the things, you see, that's the, that's the calling away from. Those are the, that's what God is saying. It, it, to be called away from self, to be called away from the one who's in charge of your life, there needs to be a denial, and a, a denial of self and a death to self. But fortunately, there's more. So we get, to, we get the devotion part, the thing that we are called to. And that obviously is called to follow Jesus, where he says, you're going to come after me, those who would come follow me. Now, it's a very interesting phrase that, that come follow me, that Jesus says. Um, and we miss it because we don't live, most of us, I don't know, are not Jews, and we, we, didn't, we don't grow up in a very strict Jewish society. But just as a bit of background, the way it would work um, with education and with rabbis is that there were kind of three levels of schooling in, in sort of first century Jewish and a little bit before and after community. And they would have the first one would be sort of five to ten, five to somewhere around there, 5 to 11, and that would be probably boys and girls. They would both get educated to a certain degree. Not all girls, but some of them would. And that would be reading and writing, and they would do that through Scripture. They would learn and memorize Scripture, um, large portions of Scripture. Though, If you think kids' church is hard now, you should have seen it in Jesus' day. And they literally, the first five books of the Bible, they would memorize a lot of that. And that's how they would learn to read. That's how they would learn to write. They would copy out Scripture. And that's... That's kind of the base, and, and most, most, most kids went through, through that, and that would happen at a, at a local school in their town or village. And then there was a second portion of school where those who were academically suited to it would go in, and that would be up to about 15, 16 years old. Most girls would not do that. that would, the, the first portion would be the end of their education, and they wouldn't go on. There would be a second portion of it, and then while they were doing that second portion, they would start to learn the family business, whatever that was. Um, whether it be building or tent making or thatching or whatever it was, you would, you would start to learn the family business in that. So you would be school and practical. And then at the end of that, most kids, that would be the end of their education. For 95, 98% of kids, that would be the end of their education. For those who showed real academic promise, there was a third level of schooling that was available. And what they would do is they would go to a rabbi, so their local rabbi or teacher, and they would ask to follow the rabbi. They would ask, and it was quite a prestigious thing. Jewish families, it was, it was very much an honor-shame culture, and, and there was a lot of honor in being a rabbi or being a religious teacher. And then <clears throat> there was a lot of honor in being accepted to be a student 
of a rabbi. And the phrase that the rabbi would use once he had considered and looked at and spoken to and tested the children and the family is he would say to those children, come follow me. So what Jesus is saying to these guys who had missed out on a certain portion of schooling when he calls his disciples, when he says that to them, he says, come follow me, is he's essentially saying, I want you to be my students. I want you to, as disciples, the Hebrew word is a talmudim, so you would be those who followed hard after, they followed closely after their, their rabbi. They would be the ones who would learn from their rabbi. And it wasn't just a physical learning, there was, I mean a, a mental learning, there was that as well, that, that he would give them his interpretations of the, the law and the prophets and those sort of things, and he would teach them how to read certain things and what things linked, and there was particular nuances in different rabbinic traditions and how they went about it, and so you got to be careful like which rabbi you chose. But what they would also do is they would watch the rabbi's life, so they would see how he implemented the Sabbath. So how he lived out those teachings of tithing, how he lived out the application of the law in his life. And so they would follow him and they would be around him. So it wasn't just school during the day. When they would come follow, when the, when the rabbi said, come follow me, at that moment, at that, that was the start of their journey. They would leave everything else. They would leave home, pack a bag, leave home, leave their mom, leave their dad, leave the family business, whatever it was, and be fully devoted to that rabbi they would then dress like him they would start to act like him they would even use the same language and so, or same f turns of phrase and things like that and they would learn a life from that rabbi they would live so constantly with him that they would become like him it's one of the most terrifying things as a parent is how much your kids imitate you is how much they become like you if you've never been a parent yet it's coming and they expose some of the parts of you that are Less than ideal when you see them behaving and you're like, oh, where'd you get that? Must be from your mom. <laughs> Show them what else your mom taught you. But meantime, you know, that's me. Like I, I see it in, my bo in, in all three of my kids. I see it. There's parts of them in there that is, that is me through and through. And that's what the disciples were like with rabbis. And that's, what, that's the kind of level of devotion that Jesus is calling us to be his disciples. He's saying, when you come follow me, you've got to deny self, there's got to be a death to self, and there's got to be a devotion to Jesus. There's this devotion to follow Jesus, to leave behind family, to leave behind businesses, to leave behind whatever else it is that we have, and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. You see, in the biblical context, devotion means that we are separated from something and dedicated exclusively to something else. Separation means, uh, devotion means that there's a separation and an exclu exclusivity about those things. So even though we are dead to self and we're denying self, there is still an exclusivity that comes from Jesus being in our lives. We are called away from something and to something else. When we are devoted to Jesus, there's no one else that you can like and follow and subscribe to. There aren't multiple things. You see, that's, then we miss Jesus and we don't have the real Jesus. If we are going Jesus and this and that and that, then it's not the Christ of the Bible that we had because he says you need to leave everything else and follow me. There needs to be a devotion only to me. And it's radical and it's life-changing 
and it is life-giving. It might seem harsh, but that's the, that's the level that Jesus calls us to, and he, and he does it. Not because of some insecurity in him, not because of something in him that needs people to be with us or follow. It's because he knows it's the best thing for us. When we follow him wholeheartedly, when we follow him with our lives, he knows that it's the best for us. It's a continual surrender to his ways. Believing in Jesus and conforming to his example in life and death is what we are called to. That's the level of devotion that we are called to. To love like Jesus loved. To live like Jesus lived. To be his disciples is to be devoted to him, walking with him each and every day. Walking in his footsteps, following exactly, living exactly as he did. He shows us how as we follow. You see, and, and we see it in, um, in Jesus' call of, of his disciples. He, he calls us away from ourselves and, and towards himself. And he calls his disciples away from themselves and to himself. Um, we see it in, when he calls Simon and Andrew. They were busy, they had just been fishing all night and they're sitting on the boats, cleaning their nets, repairing their nets. And Jesus walks up and says, come follow me. It might seem a bit strange to us again, but it, 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 from what we understand from biblical scholars is that in all likelihood, Jesus wasn't a complete stranger to them. They would have known who he was. Um, so it's not that weird where you just walk up and, hey, follow me, and they like leave family business and off they go. But there is an immediate response from them. Simon and Andrew, two brothers, and Jesus says, come follow me, that same phrase that, that a rabbis used. And immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus away from the nets towards Jesus. He calls Matthew, the tax collector, sitting in his tax booth, sitting busy collecting taxes, working for the Roman government, considered a traitor, hated by the rest of his nation, the last person any decent rabbi would pick as a disciple to have would be a tax collector. And yet Jesus says to Matthew, come follow me. Matthew immediately shuts up shop, off he goes, out of his tax collecting booth and follows Jesus. There's one account of a, a, a person who Jesus said that same phrase to, and he chose not to. It's the one of the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, you know, he tells Jesus how good he's living and all this right stuff that he's doing. And Jesus says, that's amazing. Leave everything and come follow me. Same phrase, come follow me. And it says the young man went away sad because he couldn't, leave, he couldn't give away his wealth. And he could not follow Jesus. You see, if we are not willing to die to self, if we are not willing to deny self, if there's something else that has more of a hold in our hearts than Jesus, we are going to not be able to follow him. We are not going to live as his disciples. If we will not be called away from things, we cannot be called to things. Now, Jesus doesn't call all of us in that moment to come and put our money in the offering basket and literally live with nothing. But if that thing will have a hold in your heart, if that thing will have a place of primacy in your heart, you will not be able to live your life fully as a disciple of Jesus. You're going to struggle. And the beauty of this is that Jesus knows. And he says, that's why he says, take up your cross daily. Because each and every day when I open my eyes, that same fleshly sinful nature, it's awake as well. It's alive. We are not completely saved. Salvation ends at the moment we die or Jesus returns and we are glorified. Then we are completely saved. Until then, there is a continual self-denial and taking up of cross, death to self that must happen every day. Please don't hear the condemnation that comes in that says, well, you haven't got it right. You are not a disciple of Jesus. That is not the essence of what I'm saying here this morning at all. That is the opposite of what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is that we get to live each and every day as disciples of Jesus, each and every day called away from something and called to something. Each day dying to self, denying self. That's what it means to be a disciple. But what does this look like in our lives? So what does this mean for our lives? If we're going to live out as disciples, what does this mean for our lives? It means that there is nothing for us that is more paramount or more important than the kingdom of God. There is nothing for us that is more paramount or more important than the kingdom of God. Everything else must take second place in our lives. Material things, money, cars, wealth, all those nice things, fancy clothes, family ties. There's some points where Jesus says, if you, if you love your mother and your father, your brother, your sister, your family more than me, you're missing it. Anything that we're trying to supersede that mustn't take primacy over our lives. Everything that we have in our lives must be used for the advancing of the kingdom. You see, when, when we realize that what God has given us is secondary, everything in our lives, what your position, your work, your job, your career, your family, when, God, when, you, when you realize that those things are secondary and the primacy is Jesus and what he has called us to in his kingdom, then we understand that everything that he's given us must be used for the advancing of the kingdom. The position we have in life, the friends, the influence that we have. If you've got a lot of followers on, on YouTube and wherever else you're on, then there's a large responsibility on that because you have influence in a lot of people's lives. The people you meet that you run into every day, those are opportunities for advancing the gospel. As you work, the job that you have, those are opportunities. Wherever you get to study, those are opportunities. Wherever you get to go, day in and day out, that's your place to be a disciple of Jesus in those moments to live out so people can look at you and say man I see something of Jesus on your life I might not know what it is but that thing I like that thing what is that what is it different about you I want to know that thing you dress different you look you talk different whatever it might be and they recognize Jesus they recognize the rabbi in the disciple it's not about us it's not about our lives and what we can gain or get it's about Jesus and his kingdom. Every moment, every interaction we have is an opportunity for advancing the kingdom. And this brings us to that great commission at the end of Matthew, right at the end of the book. It's the culmination of what he writes. And he says, and it, it puts it into perspective where, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So what he's saying is, I want you to go and make disciples of me. You need to lead them to Jesus. We need, that's our role. We don't make disciples of ourselves. It's not a disciple of Mark or of River Church or of Tertia. Or, it's a disciple of Jesus. That's who we are making. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Until the, and I will be with you until the end of the age. You see, that's modeling out his way of life is the gospel. This is how we make disciples. And then we can say with Paul, like Paul does in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It's one of the most terrifying things to say where Paul says follow my example as I follow the example of Christ follow me as I follow Jesus and we can follow him together that's the call on ourselves you see we have two options we can deny ourselves and follow Christ or we can deny Christ and follow ourselves let's pray Jesus I thank you that you came and you lived your life on earth, that you came and became God with us. You became Emmanuel. You became 
our Savior. I thank you that you demonstrated the way for us to live on this earth in your kingdom. Come and help us, God, to live as your disciples. Come and help us to live as those who follow hard after you each and every day. Come and help us to live as those who live lives that are are radically dead to self, that are radically denying ourselves so that we can be devoted to you, Jesus, so that we can follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes to see whatever is in our hearts that has that has taken hold of us in a way that is more important than you, Jesus, and help us to take up our cross daily, God, and live as your disciples. Help us to take, us, take up the, the cross of approval to others. Help us to take up the cross of anxiety, the cross of depression, the cross of anything that would take the place of you, Jesus, anything that would seem to be more important than you. Help us to take that up daily, and put that thing to death, Jesus, and to walk and live as those who are devoted fully and wholly to you. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lives, Jesus. Amen.